Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, here we are, everybody. It's Script Shop Showtime, and it welcome to winter. Welcome uh, to freaking winter. Mm, it's here. A freaking week in winter. We try not to mm-hmm. date this show too much because of the release schedule and everything, but the snow has hit, and it is capital H-I-T hit mm, here in Cincinnati mm, anyway. We put Olive in a bear suit. Oh. Zipped it up, put a hat on her, took her out into the winter wonderland. I put her down in the snow, and she just cried. <laughs> <laughs> she does not like it at all. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm Allison. And this is our uh, podcast about movie scripts. <laughs> and apparently, whatever else we feel like talking about. Sure, like because, babies crying in the snow. Oh, gosh. That sounds like a Willie Nelson song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Or at least a weird, a weird Al snow. version of a weird, uh, yeah, of, There of we of go. A That's Nelson really what song. it is. Welcome to Script Shop. Hi, everybody. This is our show where we talk to screenwriters about their scripts and what their work means to them and where their lives have taken them in this point to get to this point. What Jack meant to say there Mm -hmm. is like what it is about them that made them write this thing, because we really believe that screenwriters are inherently writing from their their souls. And what we like to do is get into those souls and see how do you feel about the Winter Wonderland? Actually, what is your life like and how did this show up in the script? So on the show, we talk to screenwriters about their lives and about their work, and then we try to figure out how they kind of all like mix up together. And uh, you can listen to us in various ways. You're doing it right now, so that's uh, good Thank on you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, but we are on scriptshopshow.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter by looking up Script Shop Show on those various platforms. Also, listeners, I just want to let you know that you're getting a special treat today. Oh. Because for the first time in a few weeks, all of us in the studio oh. and you there at home are lucky to have Purple Shirt Frank back Well, it's back radio, so... Purple well, shirt they're, Frank. They're painting a picture in their minds of what we all look like. You know that. It's fine. I'm just afraid that people are going to hear that and think that like purple shirts. He always shirt, wears purple shirts. Just that it's code for something. Like purple oh, shirt Frank might be you know, like what? an all hands on deck kind of situation. Or purple shirt. Purple shirt. Frank's acting like a real purple shirt today. Oh if you my know gosh. I mean. so, but that's not the case. He just literally is wearing a purple shirt. And it looks good on you, Frank. And we miss you. We've talked about you multiple times on the show. Every time we can't have you here because we love you. We miss you. Frank, you should say something to the people. They've been mm, that your your been fans. Waiting. They've been waiting for you to. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has. Mm. It's been a long time. Welcome back, Frank. Well, thank you. We miss you, Frankie. Frank, you've been busy and you've been a little ill, right? Everyone's been sick. Mm. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been sick. A very philosophical statement from Frank A. Uh, if you enjoy the show and if you enjoy Frank's presence here and you want to throw some buccarinos our way. Mm. Or some buckaroonies. You can uh, New Year Alilies. You can <laughs> you can do that by uh, going on to Patreon, looking up Script Shop Show on Patreon. It's a way for you to uh, show your appreciation for the work that we're doing. We're happy to do it. That's right. And today's script, mm-hmm. my friends, we have a very a second very special treat for you. Yes, well, it's a treat for us too. I know we have an in studio guest, in and we studio love guest. in studio guests so much. Love it. Um, most of the time, we're just calling our writers from all over the world, as you know. But we love our local talent. We love our people that show up here. We have Michelle Sikorsky in studio for us, a uh, Cincinnati-based writer who's brought us her script, Dialectical. A This is a short one for me, too. It's a nine-page dire hopeful collision. And that's, that's all I got. I like collision. One. Yeah. Collision's very good. It's it, you know? Yeah, I love this one. And we're going to read the whole script today, so that's very exciting for us as we're going to bring you the full script on Script Shop Show on Script Shop today. And we should, let's welcome uh, Michelle into the welcome. studio. Hello. Yay. What's up, girl? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a wonderful winter landy day. Mm. Uh, my husband and I made a snowman. <gasps> it's spectacular and a monstrosity. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited about it. He's a nightmare. Um, the husband or the snowman? The snowman, the snowman for sure. We, uh, it's in our backyard, and at one point we were like, we were going to open the blinds, and as we were opening them, because the snowman's facing away from the window, and as we were opening them, my Robert was like, "I feel like the snowman's going to be facing toward the house, and then we have to move." 
<laughs> Did you make a crime against nature this afternoon, it's, Michelle? I think it's beautiful, but so it has. <laughs> <laughs> is is the snowman? You know we have to post a picture of this thing now yeah. on our Twitter account. So it has wings, but the wings are so wings. Yeah, it's a lot. We so okay. Robert and I don't half-ass anything. Mm-hmm. Robert and I go into everything with like a lot of energy and. and so you guys said uh, we're going to put wings on this fucking yeah, snowman. It's like all of its decor is just yard junk basically like the, there are a lot of like vines and dying. your neighbor's beer cans yeah and... that kind of stuff you know of just it's like this weird forest spirit thing uh and we went to put wings on it but the thing about the wings is that they're just like sticks from this bush that's in our backyard but it also has stick arms so it doesn't really read as wings mm, yeah. it reads as like eight Four horrible arms, arms. Yeah. Um, a spider man yeah it's, <laughs> there's a lot happening in this snow a snowder uh, man snow monster <laughs> um, oh boy for yeah. the record we did used to be neighbors so when i was talking that's about true. neighbors beer cans i was talking about ours I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> well that's fun congratulations on your your aberration that you've you birthed into the world that's Thank you. that's fun for everybody i do yeah. love that she was putting wings on them because she writes um sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. a lot of the times and I feel like wings are kind of a staple of sci-fi. Well, yeah, the mm-hmm. the monsters in my uh, in the book that I wrote mm-hmm. are bird people. That that mm. wasn't a thought when making the snowman, but it is true. It it lives within you. <laughs> yeah. It manifests itself in the snowman. This yeah, is a fun exactly. little viral marketing campaign for your book. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> What's your you book go. about? Ah, uh, it's about a uh, a young woman whose younger brother is kidnapped by bird creatures, and she has to get him back. Mm. Uh, and then there's some questions of why he was kidnapped and, and all of that kind of mystery mm. that gets unraveled. Is there romance? Actually, no. What? No, no inner none. sibling romances? Well, I don't no. mean inner sibling. I just mean if somebody finds their true love. That's a staple of the genre. I get it. Yeah, I, love, I, I love romance There are characters myself. that were originally intended for it, but it just didn't happen. Uh, in the writing of it, mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense. The well, characters did not mm-hmm. become in love with each other, yeah. so I didn't write it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you're writing characters, do they normally talk to you and write to you? Um, hmm, hmm. It's more like as I'm writing something, the decisions that I make along the way become very concrete for me very quickly. So decisions that I'd made about these two original characters that I was like, well, maybe they'll, you know, I'm going to write it so that they end up falling in love. But then decisions that I made along the way with them just made it not make sense. And the primary thing that made it not make sense is that the protagonist is her primary goal is to get her younger brother back. Like she's just not in a headspace where she's going to be she's going after falling love. in love with someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was there was an intent to bring it in at some point and then it just continuously seemed like trying to do that would be shoehorning something really unnatural into this plot that was um, already getting away from me and its seriousness. I don't know. That sounds so silly. From the very beginning of the story, I knew that it was going to be a story about someone's younger brother being kidnapped and them having to get it back. Mm -hmm. But some it him um but somewhere in the back of my head i like thought it was going to be this fun romp and then the whole time that i was writing it i was like oh you can't make a romp out of a kidnapping like yes. there's no romp there <laughs> <a> actually <laughs> da, 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 he's gone again yeah yikes <laughs> mom's crying <laughs> yeah that's that's a tough sell sometimes for sure yeah so you do mostly like sort of like a like a, a fantasy sci-fi sort of thing in your um, writing Sort well, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, the novel was fantasy, and it was so I wrote it for. I don't know if you f- guys are familiar with the, the concept of NaNoWriMo. It's National Heard Novel Writing Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is that you write the first draft of a novel through the month of November. So the board count is fifty thousand words. I did not complete NaNoWriMo. Man, like that's at all. over. Um, that's over twelve hundred. Words a day. Yeah, it, I think it comes out to 16 and change. Right, Jack? There's um, 30. Stop looking yeah, at me listen, like you're math. Just, I don't know that you were a human calculator. I'm not, I'm not doing that math in my I head at all. I break things down as dumb as I can okay. to get a perspective on them. Okay. So she says 50,000. There's 30 days in November, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm okay. not 100% sure. I think it's 1688. I think that's See? the... Wow. Which I only know because I've done NaNoWriMo so many times. You get like counters and trackers and there's a whole website and mm. uh, the, it tells you what your word per day goal is. And, yeah. But uh, I've never completed NaNoWriMo, but I've started it several times. And uh, this novel is the only one that I continued working on after I realized I wasn't... I definitely wasn't going to finish it in a month. Um, but because it was going to be this NaNoWriMo novel and it was specifically... I was writing it 
when I had just moved back to Cincinnati from Chicago and I had just started at my job at Cincinnati Magazine. And it was, I mean, I know that we talk about like my journey as a writer. We'll mm-hmm. get back to that. Um, but it was not going well for me. And uh, this was kind of my like escape from that. Uh, So the fantasy genre was this really specific choice to have it kind of be as much of an escape as possible. I was creating the world. I was creating the rules of this magic, uh, you know, system that was that was existing in this world. And that was there was a lot more escapism to that than if it had been set just in the in the real world. What do you mean your journey as a writer was not going well when you moved back to Sensi? Well, it was supposed to be going very well because I was at what I thought was going to be my dream job. Mm -hmm. Um, I had interned at Cincinnati Magazine when I was in, and I want to make a quick note. I love Cincinnati Magazine, and there's nothing about this is against Cincinnati Magazine at all. They're, everyone there is wonderful, and it's a brilliant publication. But um, Yeah, so back off, haters. <laughs> uh, but, Don't at us. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, I had interned there as a when I was in college, and then when I found out they had an associate editorship open, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to go work at Cincinnati magazine and I want to make my way through the ranks and run a section and just live this magazine editorship life that I was really driving toward the whole time I was in my undergrad at, at UC. I'd studied journalism at UC. Uh, and then I started it, and I was an associate fact checker, checker in charge of interns, or associate editor in charge of interns and fact checking. Uh, I really liked working with the interns, but fact checking is like a combination of nightmare tasks for me. That I, really? Uh, yeah. Because oh, you got to call around. Because you got to call so many people, yeah. and the ones that have no reason to be upset with you are like out of the gate. Um, God, we would fact check restaurant reviews, and that was a nightmare because you can't say the review is good or bad. You can't give any indicator of what the review is about. You're just checking, like, you have green beans on the menu, right? right? And they're like, what did you say about the green beans? I can't tell you what we said about the green beans. Uh, and, and this is something just, that the person who wrote the article doesn't have to worry about at all. No, you're doing they you're, don't have to do it. They hand it off to me and then ugh. the ones that I hand off to the interns. But they have to take the, the easy stuff because they're interns sure. and they're learning things. And I can't give them the people I know are going to yell at them. Uh, but, yeah, so it started rough and then just got progressively rougher and rougher uh, until I ended up having to leave because it was really negatively uh, impacting my mental health uh, to try and do this job that was, like, not the right thing for me to be doing. Yeah. So was, even though you're writing as a job, but even then, and then your yeah. escape, your, your outlet isn't like it, it's writing still. Yes. Like that's a, that's, it's very much in your bones then. Yes, definitely. I, I mean, I've been writing. I, there was only one point in my life where I ever thought I was going to be anything other than a writer. It was a two year period in high school where I thought I might go into uh, flute, like flute performance. Mm-hmm. I did flute through high school and I loved it, but um it, it, it I'm, had a, I'm literally just like trying not to just tee because <laughs> that's such a unique thing, yeah. right? That I don't meet a lot of people who are like, I'm going to be a flute performer. Mm-hmm. Flautist, so I believe. Flautist, is the, that is very, term. very special. Yes. Um, yeah, I was really, I was, like I said, for about a two-year period, I was really certain that was what I was going to do. And then uh, there was a really specific turning point for me in my senior year of high school where a friend of mine who had just started at uh, CCM, the UC's College of Conservatory of Music, um, he took me to a concert at UC or at CCM that was a um, a student composition concert. And some of them were really, really good, but some of them were not. And I at one point look over to my friend to like make the kind of eye contact that you make when something's like, Oh, this is bad. Right. Like we need to make (laughs) eye contact that this is bad. And he, I mean, he's brilliant and like a very good artist, but I was not in his space at all. And he was like physically leaning forward with his like head on his chin with the most intent look of like, intense uh absorption of yeah. what was going on i was like oh i can't do that yeah. <laughs> i can't do that at all he's into this i gotta get out of this yeah. um, like actually no thank you yeah. <laughs> and uh that was that was when i decided that i was gonna gonna do writing in college instead of uh instead of music mm-hmm. but um but yeah like i said apart from those two years i've pretty much always known i wanted to be a writer even during those two years i was writing um i was in and then president of the writers club at my high school uh i did writing all through through college and now and I can't remember a time when I as as soon as I could write I was mm-hmm. 
And, and it can, yeah. I mean, so you've written some fantasy YA type stuff. You've sent mm-hmm. us this screenplay, but I mean, are you doing like journal entries? Just are you, are you writing every day or? Uh, I try to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my goal minimum, there's this website that's called One Word. Okay. Um, and it updates every other day. So I, it's kind of, it's a good way to keep yourself honest. I can't actually do this every day. So if I, if I do it one day, I have to at least wait another day for this to be my minimum writing, but it's, it's one word. And what you do is you click go and it gives you one word and a text box in 60 seconds and mm. you just write. Oh, that's mm. cool. And if I can't do anything else, I can do one word yeah. and then mm-hmm. I can be like wrote today. Yeah. Check. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to make sure I write at least a little something. Usually I'm writing fiction. That's my main thing. That's the thing I like to write the most is fiction. Um, if I don't have a specific idea in mind, I have this box of, uh, it's like a DIY story prompt thing where you draw two, oh gosh, it's, there are really specific rules to it. You draw two characters or two character traits and two details about the story. And the story you write has to include both of the character traits, one of the details, and the only rule about the plot is that your character has to survive the whole story. Oh, wow. Like, the end can't be the character dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I don't have anything in mind that I actively want to write, I, I pull something from that. One of my favorite stories that I've ever written was from that, and it was about, I forget exactly what the cards I drew. I know one of them was nudist, and the other was taxidermist. And mm-hmm. sure. one of the cards, I think, was, like, mm. a reunion or something like that. But I wrote about a uh, nudist taxidermist who was, like, this seclusive hermit living in the uh. woods, living his nudist taxidermist life. Mm-hmm. And he gets a knock on the door, and it's his, like, estranged daughter uh, coming to, like, be like, hey, what what is any of this? <laughs> um, and it's kind of this conversation of how he went from being, like, a regular dad to, like, live it in the woods naked doing taxidermy. Mm. I mean, that makes um, kind of sense to me because if, like, I think of nudists being into skin and taxidermy, you know, you have to work with people. With I mean, it's a tale bodies. as old as time. Yeah, this is, it's, it's the peanut classic. butter and chocolate of stories. <laughs> it, it cl- is it? Yeah, of course. The, the nudist <laughs> taxidermist. The story basically wrote itself, Michelle. Yeah. I mean, you got lucky on that one. I agree. I really stumbled into a gold mine. Um, well, how did you start? You know, you've been writing lots of different forms, lots mm. of different themes. You're practicing lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. How did you turn your attention to writing a screenplay? Uh, you told me to. <laughs> um. <laughs> Again, we were neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you guys uh, when you guys were first getting started, uh, you had you had encouraged me to, and I think I must have tried a dozen times before I wrote anything that I did more than like. Mm, five or six lines of dialogue before Mm. I was like, nope, hate this, got to burn that earth. Um, And yeah, I think that, um, I don't know that I would have continued trying past all of the like, oh no, I I hate this whole process because it was very unfamiliar kind of writing to me. And most of the times that I've picked up a new kind of writing, it's been in a classroom setting where there's a teacher to say, this is how you do this. Right. Um, So the self-teaching process of it it was a little... What did you do to teach yourself how um, to write this? Mostly Googling, a Mm -hmm. lot of just seeing what other scripts looked like, um, how they were formatted, um, the ways that they would convey things that didn't happen in dialogue. That was the main thing when I very first started. I didn't know how that worked. Um, I, I guess I kind of knew I'd done like plays in high school. I'd seen like stage directions and stuff like that, but I didn't know how it worked in the sense of how it would look or describing how it would look in a film. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a whole different, uh, whole different experience for me. So yeah, mostly reading other scripts that were available online to Mm -hmm. read and doing a lot of Googling of like getting halfway through like, oh, how would I how would I format this? And just mm-hmm. like, um, and then I was also really aided by the writing software that I use is this um, program called Scrivener, uh, which is a really good uh, writer's program. It has a mode where like you can't see anything else on your computer and it, it'll mm. like do all of this. Uh, it'll compile your work for you at the end and all of this, but it has a script writing setting. Ah, perfect. Um, where it really just does most of the work of the formatting for you. <laughs> and at that once I discovered that I already had that on my computer just like sitting quietly waiting for me, uh, it all got a lot easier once yeah. I wasn't trying to make this happen in Word. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just formatting is 
Formatting's a bitch, it, right? It's funny. It makes me that we're. It's been about twenty years. We just celebrated the twentieth anniversary of Sopranos being a TV show, yep. and in season one specifically, Christopher <laughs> is trying to be a screenwriter, <laughs> and he's so frustrated because he thought by getting like a good screenwriting program would help him create whatever story he wanted to tell, <laughs> but he didn't have a whole lot of thought for the actual story, and he's super frustrated at this computer program that it's not shouldering more of the load for him. And right. it's just one of my favorite little parts, and that's do, in season one. I mean, if we're just gonna go on a Sopranos little moment, like, mm-hmm. I. I do love that Christopher wants to become like a film mm-hmm. star and he's writing that script because I watched, I don't know. I got you guys started almost on it. two seasons of yeah. it. It was the wrong, wrong season of my life to get into the Sopranos, but I might be coming back for a second win. Yeah. It's just funny that he was expecting the program to do the work for him. It mm-hmm. just cracked me up. Mm. So you sent us a script today called Dialectical. Yes. Uh, and it is not also knowing you and knowing that, you know, maybe some fantasy YA stuff might be a little more in your wheelhouse or at least what for me to expect. This script took me by surprise. Yeah, I didn't I, really, I, I didn't know what to expect, but this one certainly surprised me. I really hustled you guys with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like before we get into anything about the script itself, since we're going to read the whole we thing, should just read it. we should just read it. Yeah. Right? That way we don't put any thoughts in someone's head about yeah. what's going on. Although we should maybe talk about, we can at least talk about the title, because I had to look it up. I'm not familiar with the word dialectical, and help me out here. I went on Wikipedia, and dialectic, also known as the dialectical method, is at base a discourse between two or more people holding different points of view about a subject, but wishing to establish the truth through reasoned arguments. Is that your basis for the title? No. Oh. Yeah. What? It is uh, coincidentally appropriate. There's, you can apply a lot of ideas about that to the script, but okay. no. Um, so dialectical is referring specifically to dialectical behavioral therapy, oh. um, which is the kind of therapy that I go to. Uh, it is the dialectical, and that is referring to this kind of this pair of at first blush. Um, oh gosh, what's the word for when they don't make sense together? Like dissonant? Yes. At first blush, dissonant ideas that you need to accept both of at the same time, um, which are everyone is doing their best, everyone must do better. Um, and oh, the, wow. You okay. have to accept both of those at the same time for really anything in DBT to work. Um, there's a lot of group work in DBT, so you need to accept that about your group mates, but you also need to accept it about yourself and basically everyone you meet okay. in your in your life. Um, that idea, everyone is doing their best, everyone must do better, is the primary idea that I was working off of with the um, the conversation that happens between these two characters mm-hmm. and what's kind of going on for them at this specific moment in their lives. That's really interesting. Okay, that does, uh, but you're right, the the other word, like, just the way language works, like, there's some connections yeah. there for sure. That's really interesting. And I want to come back to this thought, everyone is doing their best, everyone must do better. Yes, in a little bit. for sure. So, listeners, today we're going to be reading the entire script of Dialectical, um, the script is about nine pages, ten including a cover page. It's available on our website, scriptshopshow.com. Um, slash scripts. S- slash scripts. I'm going to be reading for the character of Jordan. Uh, and Jack is going to be reading for the character of Nick. Nick. Our favorite purple shirt, Frank, is going to be reading all the stage directions. And Michelle's just going to chill in the studio eating some jelly beans for a little bit. Eating all of Frank's jelly beans. Mm-hmm. Except the green ones. Except for the green <laughs> She's ones. She's not touching the green ones. While we go through this little bit here. Green jelly bean Michelle does not jive with purple shirt Frank. <laughs> color, color, color. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just enjoy. If you're following along, you know, turn the pages whenever you see that we're on a new page. Ding. <laughs> yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank, you ready? I am ready. Jack, you ready? Yes, I am. Michelle, you got your jelly beans? She's jelly beaned up. Okay. So, Frank, whenever you're ready. Interior, car, afternoon. A woman, Jordan, in her early 20s and dressed casually, but well, drives down a curvy tree-lined road. She is alone in the car. The radio is off. I was wondering if... No. Um, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about whether or not you think I'm improving at all. I want to, today, I want to know if I'm doing, if you think I'm doing better than I was when I first started seeing you. A police car passes in the opposite direction. It's hard for me to tell because I'm just, you know, trapped in being me and I'm, God damn it. Jordan sighs and turns on the radio. A few seconds of driving pass and then the car rounds a sharp turn and a figure darts out into the road. 
Jordan slams on the brakes. We see that she has not hit the figure. Jesus! A man, Nick, in his mid-30s and dressed in a t-shirt and athletic pants, stands in front of Jordan's car. He looks disheveled. The two stare at each other for a moment. Then Nick lets out an anguished groan and puts his hands on his head, looking at the ground. He begins pacing in front of the car. Jordan hesitates for a moment before stepping out of the car. Hey, are you okay? Nick lets out a deranged laugh. (laughs) No, I am not. Nick continues to pace. Jordan eyes the road behind them nervously. Hey, you know you should probably get out of the road. Nick ignores her, continues pacing. I mean, I have to go, and also you're going to get them. Jordan trails off, eyeing a hospital wristband on Nick's wrist. Oh. Nick yells again, Ah! then trudges off to the tree line, slumps down against the tree, and puts his head in his hands. I'm sorry. You can go. Do you, um, do you want to ride back? Nick looks up. Back where? Uh, well, Rogers. Nick is surprised. I mean, the wristband, and there's uh, nothing else out here, and the whole uh, jumping in front of my car thing. <laughs> Nick breaks eye contact, looks at a point behind Jordan. It just seems like you should probably go back. So, do you want to ride? No. Jordan hesitates. I guess that's your call. I can't make you, but it's kind of either you come back with me or back in a cop car, don't you think? That cop car's been driving up and down this road for an hour, and he hasn't spotted me. Well, it'll be easier after I I call 911. Fuck. I mean, really? What's the plan here? Anyway, there are better ways to kill yourself. Ways that don't involve, you know, other people. Do you have any suggestions? Jordan does not reply. Why don't you just go? It just seems... I can't leave you alone here. And we're going to the same place anyway, so... Are you sure I can't give you a ride? I could hurt you, you know. I... Um, are you? Do uh, do you plan to? No, but I think you're an idiot if you believe me. You shouldn't be giving suicidal men rides places. I mean, I give a suicidal woman rides every time I'm in a car, and I've survived every drive with her. So, do you get it? Because it's me. Nick does not reply. Will you please let me drive you back? (sighs) Fine. Nick stands up, walks to Jordan's car, and sits in the passenger side front seat. After a beat, Jordan gets back in the driver's seat, restarts the car, and starts driving. She glances at the clock, which reads 2.53. Shit. What? I'm just going to be late for my appointment. Oh, right. Sorry. No, it's not your... Well, (laughs) it's okay. How far away are we anyway? Um, about ten minutes. Son of a bitch. I've been out here for at least an hour, and I made it ten minutes from the goddamn hospital. Well, you know, the speed limit's high through here. Not high enough. (laughs) Wow. Do you want to know why I want to kill myself? Um, do you, do you want to talk about it? I accidentally killed my dad. Oh. He was punching my mom, and I pushed him, and he fell down the stairs, and he hit his head, and he died. It was 16 years ago last week. How old are you? I'm 23. And I, I was a little younger than you then. It was 16 years ago, and it was the right thing to do, and I I knew that then, and I know that now, and I still have spent almost every moment since wanting to rip out my own throat, you know? I know some of that. So why are you suicidal? Bold. I told you. I didn't ask. Are you bulimic? What? No. You kind of got that look. (laughs) What does that even mean? You're normal looking. (laughs) Bulimics look normal, just more tired and... You look normal and tired. Thank you. (laughs) Come on. Distract me from myself a little here. I'm getting a real strong tuck and roll urge. What are you going to talk about today when you arrive late to your appointment? Um, this. (laughs) Shit, that's fair. Well, what were you going to talk about before this? 
Nothing. I didn't have anything today. You're suicidal with nothing to talk about? Mm. Fuck. I think that's worse than me. I'm not, like, actively suicidal. I just... What do you think normal people think when they stub their toe? Ouch, my toe hurts. Right, sure. I think that. Then I think, I wish I were dead. Over a stubbed toe? Over um, everything, basically. Were you abused as a kid? Jordan does not reply. Yeah, me too. Dad, mostly. He was an alcoholic. A real piece of shit. I'm glad I killed him. Jordan does not reply. You know, apart from the suicidal thing. There's a beat of silence in the car. They pass a sign that says Rogers Psychiatric Care Center. Next left. You ever been in inpatient here? I have not. It's pretty good. I mean, they don't they don't abuse you or anything. <laughs> so that's good. Sorry. <laughs> I make dumb jokes when I I just wanted to know if, if you ever need it, it's a good program. And then why'd you break out? It's not the program's fault that I'm unfixable. You didn't kill anyone. You've got some PTSD and a chemical imbalance. Yeah, they can help you. The car turns into the long driveway. And they can't help you. They haven't. The car is quiet for a minute as an abandoned barn passes on the left. Do you remember the first time you came here, seeing it? I was in an ambulance. Oh. Well, hmm. I wasn't. And it's this big, long driveway off of this secluded back road, and you pass that creepy fucking barn, and then you come around this corner, and there it is. The center comes into view. And I remember thinking, the first time I saw it, this place looks exactly like what it is. <laughs> I mean, it. <laughs> this place looks like a mental hospital. And all I could think was, why does it have to look so much like what it is? Why... Why can't it look like a house or a high school? Why does it have to look like a place where crazy people go to bitch? Does it make you feel worse to feel like you're going to where the crazy people go? It makes me feel seen. Jesus. Yeah. Jordan pulls the car into the parking lot, then turns it off. The two exit. Fade out. That's the end. Oh, I love Wow, this script is a lot. There's a lot happening in this script. Oh, Michelle's doing little clappy hands. Oh, Michelle. Michelle, so I mean, so How now you- the folks who have been listening up to this point who don't, who haven't read the script and don't know you, mm-hmm. like the fact that we kept talking about, you know, YA fantasy, YA <laughs> fantasy, and then and then this. Here's this. Uh-huh. I, I what do you think? What do you think after hearing it? What do you think about? Good. Oh man, it's so cool to actually hear it. Um, because I had an idea of how it would be said, and some of it was, some of what you guys did was was pretty similar to that. Some of it really wasn't, and I liked the differences. Um, I liked some of the choices. It was, you guys did it a lot more, um, and I really liked this. You guys did it a lot more lighthearted than it ever was in my head. Okay. Um, but it was so good that way. Um and that was that was really cool to see. I'll accept um, my Oscar. <laughs> I literally will like, take it at any uh, point now. <laughs> and I think you know, even though I I made a really conscious decision to make some parts of it, you know, funny and have there be a lot of humor. Or not, I don't know that a lot of humor in it, but a fair amount of humor in it. Um, in my head, the in, intrinsic seriousness of it kind of precluded it being mm-hmm. more a more lighthearted conversation, but it worked really well. I think that I think that the humor really stems from the way you're mm-hmm. writing these characters as human beings. Like mm-hmm. nobody's really mm-hmm. trying to be funny. No, nope. but they're but the, <laughs> they have they're two people. They're in they're in this situation, and they're and they're when you're in a situation that does have sort of like stakes like this or just like you're getting into like human elements of stuff, I think it's hard at times maybe to not find the humor if you're almost more on the outside looking in and like Mm -hmm. realizing where you're at. Why does this look like the way it does? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So so you did, you you have written, I know we keep attaching you to um, young adult fantasy, et cetera, Mm -hmm. but but what made you switch for this? Like where did this come from? Well, hmm, it kind of came from a lot of things. I, most of the scripts that I had started trying to write prior to this one were bigger. They were longer. They were bigger ideas that needed more time um, and, and more, I don't even want to say more work because I think that's misleading, um, but certainly more time, certainly more pages. Um, and then when I went to see uh, 
Love These Days, starring the two of you. <laughs> um, a short film by Allison West. And also, yes. Frank still worked on that one, too. Oh, yeah. Just, it's all in the family here. Yeah. Um, when I went to see that, I was really struck by the fact that it was the, it was three minutes, right? I'm, I'm remembering It was about correctly. six. About six? Yeah. Well, that it was this, this very short chunk of time, and so much story was told in it. And I was really, really impressed by that. And so it really re- um, framed my idea of what I even wanted to try to do. And it was actually on the drive from the cinema to the bar uh, afterwards, because uh, we we all went out to have a drink afterward, mm-hmm. um, yes, that thanks. I got the idea for this script. And the idea was this very small, I guess part of it technically came from the... This drive is not similar to my drive to therapy for the most part. The okay. only thing that is similar is the the driveway at the end and the creepy barn <laughs> that is that is from life mm. um and at one point while i was driving down that road uh it has a pretty low speed limit down that road and i kind of had this morbid thought of like oh i hope that's not so people don't jump um mm-hmm. and that that passing thought as i was going to therapy one day kind of popped back into my head as i was driving from the cinema to the bar and i was like oh i bet i could do something with that and then it it blossomed into mm. into this. Wow, okay. Mm. Well, I really love how Jordan is very optimistic here. Yeah. Like, she's definitely in a different place than this other person is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it struck me that even though she, you know, she brings up that she has suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. that she's a person that deals with suicide, this other person jumps into her life and she still finds reason to, to work and hope for him, mm-hmm. too. And I just wanted to see, like, what you thought about that. Yeah, so there is another, a lot of this script was playing with some of the concepts that I have learned going through therapy, and there is, there's these concepts of being overly controlled or under, under controlled. Um, so mm-hmm. people who are under controlled, and I'm going to butcher the under controlled part because I'm not it, so I don't know it as, as well as over controlled, but people who are under controlled might make reckless, you know, choices very easily, um, they're, they're really ruled by their emotions in a way that can be destructive for them, um, where someone who is over-controlled maybe rules their emotions in a way that can be destructive for them. Uh, And that's kind of the space that I'm in. Um, And that's also true of Jordan, uh, which is the reason that she is really insistent about getting him back to the center because her perspective is that there is a right thing to do here Mm -hmm. and she can't not do it. She can't just... Go. She doesn't even want to go and call nine one one. Like I don't think the version where he refuses to get in the car ends with her getting back in the car and leaving him alone. Right. Do, you th- do you think um, like if he refused to get in the car that she would go get him and put him in the car? No, I th- I think she'd probably stay there yeah. physically and call nine one one. Yeah. Um. But uh, then we wouldn't have this script. So. <laughs> um, so then on the other yeah. side of it, the, the this Nick character who's, you know, sort of shouldering a lot more issues mm-hmm. of not just depression, but also guilt and, and mm-hmm. murder and everything else. Yeah. W- w- what was the motivation to write him with all those and to have the stakes be that much higher with him? Yes. Yeah, so um, a couple of things for it. He is also I don't. I don't think I don't picture his whole life being necessarily one of of under controlled, but certainly in this moment, mm-hmm. he is he is in a space of being under controlled. So that was kind of playing the opposite uh, role to what she was bringing to this encounter. Um, as far as like his dramatic backstory, um, parts of that decision were based on some of the experiences that. I have gone through as a as a person with an abusive parent and also things that I know other people with abusive parents have gone through. Um, he's like the the experience of him killing his his father and in, in a moment of his father being abusive to his mother is based on an acquaintance that I knew from high school mm-hmm. um, that I I only really knew him in passing, but that shouldered that very heavily as one would. Um, and the only time that we ended up having any kind of conversation about it, uh, the main timbre of what he had to say about it was like almost almost verbatim what Nick says about it of like I knew it was the right thing to do. Like there's there was no question even then like whether or not I was making the right choice. But 
it's still a choice that ended with my dad dead. Like, and it's still a choice that ruined his life. Yeah. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's. Yeah. I mean, I he's don't want to be so final place. with it, but yeah, yeah, he's not in a good place. No, mm-hmm. he's not. Uh, he's doing his best, but he must do better. Mm. Okay, um, so this thought. Yeah. Yes. Everyone's doing their best. Everybody must do better. Where does that come from for you? Uh, well, it is in dialectical behavioral therapy. So when you do DBT, you it's really intensive therapy. You do therapy twice a week. Uh, once with your individual therapist and once in a group session. And when you do the group session, the first thing you do on your orientation day is go over the basically like the rules of group. And the very first rule of group is that we are all collectively going into DBT, agreeing at least here in this space, but ideally throughout, you know, what you're doing and trying to do as, as in your in your uh, like mental health growth. Um, Agreeing to this principle, these principles together, everyone is doing their best and everyone must do better. Um, and kind of accepting the way that those feel contradictory uh, when they don't have to be. I think it's fascinating that the root of this therapy is to take two dissonant ideas, mm-hmm. two things that don't necessarily work together mm-hmm. and making them and like having that be the basis for making things work going forward. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I think yeah. it's very optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree as well. And I think that it's really powerful to give yourself permission to acknowledge that you're doing well, even when it looks like you're not. And that's something that I think is really important about this script. Nick is doing his best. Mm -hmm. This is Nick's best. And that's okay. But he must do better. Mm -hmm. And Jordan is doing her best and she must do better. Uh, And the, the simultaneous like forgiveness of the guilt of not being mentally healthy mm-hmm. while acknowledging that there is still work. There are still ways that you can make life easier for yourself um, and and do better. Um, I think it's a really powerful combination of ideas. Yeah, you know, I was saying she's Jordan's very optimistic, but honestly, so is Nick, because it's not like he he's not throwing daggers at her. He's talking to her. He's you know, he goes over to the side of the road and puts his head in his hands. Right. He's remorseful. He's going through a big piece of this during the script and he's he's trying yeah he's trying really what do you think he's running from specifically like all we know is he's running he's out there he's trying yeah. to get away what's going on with him uh my my idea of what was going on with him is that he had within the week been admitted to the hospital for a suicide attempt mm-hmm. um that he had spent that week not feeling any better Um, not that a week is an enormous amount of time, but it certainly would feel like an enormous amount of time in an inpatient, uh, situation. Well, it's immediate too. Everything's new for him. Um, spent that week feeling like he wasn't doing any better. And then he saw an opportunity. He was maybe apart from the rest of the group or just found himself alone in a hallway and he saw an opportunity to leave and he Mm -hmm. did. And as far as you're concerned, the way in the writing this, he really was trying to jump in front of her car. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So to maybe step away from the, the, the therapeutic and the, the, the depression aspects yeah. of things and get more into the, the way that the story is constructed, mm-hmm. the way you talked about how you came up with this as you were you know coming back into the bar and like the little idea sparked and it grew from that, mm-hmm. do you see this, because you do have experience in writing maybe longer form stories, do mm-hmm. you see this being a part of something larger? Do you see this being the start of something of a larger story or maybe the end of two different stories coming together? You know, I don't actually. I think that the story that I wanted to tell with this lives in that drive. Mm -hmm. Um, That this kind of moment of these two people interacting and like maybe they don't see each other again after this. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, Certainly they haven't seen each other before it. And I don't really think that their pasts up to this point, apart from in the ways that it allows them to bond in this moment and understand each other. um, I, I... I guess no. I don't see it as part okay. of a larger, larger uh, piece. Jack, do you have any ideas about what this story? Like, cause, you know, sometimes producers will approach a story and be like, "Oh, I actually see this in a bigger way." Do you have any thoughts about anything else that could go on here? The, the I like the idea, even though this is the two of them meeting. I like the idea of the story. If if there is a larger story of it, not of of their meeting, not necessarily being the beginning. Mm-hmm. I can see it being like in the middle of something where he's going through his life and she's going through hers, and you're like, as you're watching it, these two different stories that then collide together and then seeing how these two people then affect each other going forward. Maybe she takes a little more of an interest in checking up on him and, you know, they, I'm not suggesting any sort of relationship there outside of, Hey, I know you, I think I get what you're going through. Let's maybe not just say goodbye and walk away from each other forever. I I like the idea of there being a little bit of a future there too. Can I, um, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. an interesting thing that I just realized about why I don't think of this as being part of a larger thing. Not that I think any of any other interpretation is wrong, but um, what I like about it being self-contained is actually the closest uh, description for what I love about it is in music. I love music that ends on an unresolved chord. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. I love that. Oh, oh gosh. I love okay. that so much. And I like that the last thing you see is them getting out of the car. Mm-hmm. That you don't even see, like in my image of it, the you don't even see outside of the car mm-hmm. at that point. You just see the doors close and then end. Mm. Um, I like mm. that you don't know what happens after that. I like mm-hmm. that it's a question of whether or not he gets better, whether or not she gets better, mm-hmm. um, because that's one of my favorite moments in the script is when she lies about whether or not she had anything to talk about in therapy, because she totally did. She was practicing it before he jumped out that's in front of her so car. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, She wanted to see how she was doing. Yeah, she wanted to know if she was doing better, because she can't tell, because she's trapped in being her. Which um, is not too different from where he really was at, too, because yeah. he's just feeling like he's not getting anywhere, and he just took a different route to express that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so for me, that unresolved note at the end of it is... Um, it's just one of my favorite parts. Oh, what an this oh gosh, I know we got away from suicide, but it's like why why is this topic important to you? Well, uh it is important to me because and I'm okay, but because I experience suicidal ideation in basically the same way that Jordan does. Yeah. Um the description of like what do you think when you stub your toe? Um, it's not as bad. Therapy has been deeply helpful, mm-hmm. but um there is a space of time like through especially high school and college where like I would have a homework assignment that I didn't want to do, and my gut reaction would be like, well, if I killed myself, I wouldn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was with that kind of casualness, and it's a kind of casual, passive suicidal ideation that's really common in people who have experienced like childhood trauma specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's something that kind of just starts going wrong in your brain if a lot of bad stuff happens with you when you're really little mm-hmm. that like just doesn't stop going. Like, it doesn't stop growing. Yeah, it's just your brain grows in a kind of unideal environment and so then that's what your brain is Mm -hmm. um like I said therapy has been very useful with this but it's still like it's not non-existent for me at this point it's I have come to recognize that at the end of the day my gut impulse to really adverse or even slightly adverse situations is sometimes going to be like well I could just die and then I have to remind myself, like, no. And maybe that's um, your way of like talking yourself out of this, this of saying, like, this doesn't actually matter. Yeah. My, you know, like, um, maybe I don't actually hurt. This doesn't really matter. My, my tool that I have gotten from therapy for it is recognizing the power, like, the power of recognizing that a thought is just a thought. Yeah. The fact that that's yep. what pops into my head does not give it any more power than the fact that sometimes, like, tweet a little deep bop pops into my head. Like, a thought is just a thought. Okay. Well, tweet a little deep bop. I mean, that's pretty terrible, too. <laughs> yeah, you could have been way more creative with your random words that you yeah, were going to say. I yourself. liked it. No, I, I liked it. The I thought it was fun. The thing is that I'm in this, like, I'm in this um, Facebook group that specifically, it's called, like, Weird Stuff My Brain Says. And I, for the life of me, just now was like, oh, think of something from that. And then I couldn't think of a single thing. <laughs> I feel like those should just be memes, that. just posting throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what was it like writing this, knowing that you have like a very intimate um, experience with suicide? Yeah, was there a cathartic element to it? Is there a, a, a sense of... Was it very technical for you, trying yeah. something different? Um, Once I had the idea for the script, especially since I'd tried, I'd tried my hand at attempting this before and I knew how to use the program to kind of make the formatting easier, it was actually enormously easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about 20 minutes to write. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm a I'm a fast writer regardless, but it just once I started it and once I knew what the idea was, even though I didn't exactly know starting off like what the character how the characters were going to navigate through this together. As soon as I started writing it, it was all just very easy. Mm-hmm. It all just kind of flowed forward from it. There's a great um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez quote that I'm going to butcher because I can't. I don't know it verbatim, but it's something to the effect of, and then the words began pouring out of me, and it was as if I were writing just for the pleasure of telling a story, and that must be the closest experience we have to levitation. Mm. Um, and that wow. was entirely the state of writing that I got into while writing the script, which is such a gift. Those those moments are so rare, uh, and you really have to remember them forever because they're so good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any plans for, like, trying to get this produced or getting it out there in terms of what your work is like as a writer or 
Yeah, well, I'm definitely planning on submitting it to Sendependent. <gasps> oh. Sendependent um, Film Festival! Coming up last, in uh, summer of 2019. of August. Uh, and then you had also mentioned to me the um, the opening film yep. contest. Yes. Um, so I'm going to submit it to that as Sweet. well. Um, outside of that, um, Robert, my, my husband, really wants to do it, although neither of us know what that means or looks like. Um, but he, especially because of the fact that it's, uh, you know, obviously a very small cast as far as the physical, uh, like setting and stuff like that. It's not necessarily that, um, difficult to pull off from that perspective. Um, but again, like neither of us know what any of that actually well is. hey we got a room here full of people <laughs> and uh you know if anybody was looking to get in touch with you about this how would they go about doing that uh they could reach me through the contact page on my website which is michellesikorsky.com mm-hmm. and we will have links of uh, that for sure uh when if you're on our website uh, checking out our page and listening to uh this specific show we'll be able to link you right up to that that'd be great yeah get in touch with michelle Make movies happen. Michelle, thanks so much. This was really like this 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 writing that you sent us, I feel like is extremely honest and it's extremely mm-hmm. personal. And I think it's I thank you for taking the time to write it and then sharing it with us and then coming in and talking. Well, we yeah. really appreciate it. Thank you guys it. for doing it. It was wonderful. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So um, there's there, there's one other thing that we sort of should feel like we should yes. probably segue into. Okay. This has been a, a little bit of a heavy show and it's just I, I, I segues are not fun when it's this sort of thing but um in terms of people who have died by suicide recently uh there is someone that was involved with us at this independent film festival right. last year who's yep. gone um we just want to we just want to bring we just want to talk about Brittany belland who was uh, a lead actress in the film other versions of you a film that we were lucky enough to screen at this independent film festival which was a wonderful feature it's incredible um produced by ryan hartsock and director maki dapp we were lucky to have it there and we were lucky to have a lot of the cast and crew there as well Mm -hmm. including Brittany. and i distinctly remember dancing with her in one of our parties because independent film festival has a lot of opportunities to bring people together and get them interacting Mm -hmm. and Brittany and i danced together on the dance floor and just a few months after that, she committed suicide. Um, there's been a lot of just some social media postings about how loved she was and that she knew she was loved, but that it was it was just too much for her. And we just think about her, and we think about everything she contributed to our individual lives. And we also want to talk about the suicide prevention hotline. That if you're interested in getting help, if you would like help, it's there. I mean, yeah, this there's no way like. Th- being honest, and this is going to sound trite and cliche, I suppose, or whatever, but like honestly, there's no level of hurting that you could be having in your head where you shouldn't pick up the phone and make this call if you feel you're getting to that point. The Suicide Prevention Hotline, 800-273-8255. Call it, call a friend, call a relative, call somebody. You're not, you don't, you don't have to be, you know, feel like you're by yourself if you're if you're in this moment and you know i think it's just really important for people to be reminded of that bit, occasionally take every bit you can you know every bit you can everyone's doing their best and we all need to do better mm-hmm. uh so thanks guys for listening we appreciate uh you tuning into the show this week you can check us out scriptshopshow.com we're also on facebook instagram and twitter all if you look up a uh, script shop show and until next week friends that's a wrap script shop was created by allison west Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by Bensound.com. Outro music by Purple-Planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.